School PR professionals spend a week or two each year networking, if they're lucky. We pour into this professional development and the conversations drive us in our work. Collaboration is one of the best parts of our job, but then we go back to our daily work and the buzz of bright conversations and innovation starts to wear off. Welcome to School PR Happy Hour. We seek to create a shared space of collaboration and an opportunity to continue those conversations long after the closing sessions of our state and national conferences. We are a community, a community of communicators that lean on each other in hard times and learn from each other regularly. This podcast is about just that, getting to know each other better and sharing our passions about furthering education one story at a time. Welcome back to School PR Happy Hour. My name's Erin McCann. In this episode, we are doing something that we've never done before on this show, and that is we have a repeat guest for the very first time. Now, I'm calling this episode the Wonder Woman episode because we're going to spend some time talking about what it's like to be a career woman working in school PR during the toughest year in our professional careers, as well as making that attempt to sort of balance our personal lives. Now, when I started brainstorming this episode, I couldn't think of anyone better to have this conversation with than my friend, Kristen Majet, APR, communication strategist for CEL Marketing, former school PR practitioner for Eudora School District, as well as one half of the power concept of K-12 PR Well with friend of the show, Sean McKillop, APR. All right, Kristen, I know that was a lengthy intro, but I couldn't be more delighted to have you here and to be talking to you today. <laughs> oh, well, thank, thank you. you so much. Yes, I'm glad it worked out for us to do this together. And I think this is a, a topic that has been close to both of us. And it was fun to realize that you cared about it as much as I did. Um, it's something that's been bubbling around in my head, too. As you know, we've seen news reports um, about data that's come out of, uh, you know, whether that's uh, women dropping out of the workforce or, mm-hmm. you know, just all different kinds of elements of that the that we couldn't have anticipated um, in a pandemic that we couldn't have anticipated. Um, and so I'm excited to talk with you about it today. Well, you know, in our very first season, that's when we had you and Sean on to talk about K-12 PR well just as a general concept. And we'll certainly talk more about that later. But one of the things that you guys talked about was burnout, which is always something that's sort of a, a possibility, a scary possibility in our field specifically. And this year, you know, we thought it was tough before, but this year has just been <laughs> yeah. a, I don't even think there's a word to describe what this year has been. I think um, intense, if nothing else. You know, when I think about, it was three years ago, actually last week that Sean and I had a fateful phone call. It was a very um, informal call and we realized that we had a lot of stress in common and we wondered maybe there, maybe we aren't the only ones who feel this way. And that was the the genesis, the very earliest stirrings of a, a conversation that would get much bigger than that, um, called, that we now call K-12 PR well. Um, and I look back on that time and it had just, it was about a month after um, we'd gone through the, the country had gone through the Me Too um, conversation, kind of the spike of that conversation, um, as well as Parkland, uh, the violence mm-hmm. in, uh, in Florida, the school violence. And it was, it was heavy. And I look back on that and I think, yeah, that was a tough time. We literally had no idea um, how much harder it could get when we look at the last 12 months. But, you know, I think what we know is that school PR is, you know, and Sean and I say this all the time, we are shock absorbers, right? Um, right. Absorbing the, tr- you know, the, the higher stakes, the higher trauma, um, the more likely and the faster it comes across the desk. And the the work is to reduce that trauma 
um, for the audience and engage them in caring ways. And eventually shock absorbers on your car, they go bust if you drive over potholes at 50 miles an hour every day. You know, we're highly sensitive to community conflict and pain, which is what makes the best school PR people so good at what they do, um, navigating through that. But then you add on top of that, the pandemic and the racial conflict of the last year and the election. And I mean, it's just one thing on top of another, on top of another. And there's not one community. I, I, I would not, you could not convince me that there's even one community out there that has not suffered from intensified conflict, division, trauma, pain. And what that means is that the job of the school PR person is more complex it's higher stakes and it's just harder, more demanding, taking up more of your time and energy um, than in any other time in history. And, you know, the pressure on the person that's doing the job, whether it's a man or a woman, you know, regardless of the color of our skin, the pressure on these people has never been higher. So I think it's really, um, it's interesting to see it in the, in the, you know, when I reflect back on the last three years, just how much more needed the conversation of burnout, um, how much more critical it's become. Well, and I think too, in, in our line of work, in all communication lines of work, I would imagine, we're used to looking at crisis communication, which is something everyone needs to and really enjoys specializing in because it's very strategic and it's very tactical. But we're look, mm-hmm. we're used to managing crisis scenarios that are an hour, three hours, maybe a couple of days. If it's a if it's a really tough community, maybe like a violence issue that that can kind of linger for maybe even a couple of weeks as you start to kind of go back to normal. We're now looking at more than twelve months mm-hmm. of operating crisis communications every every week in the job that I do now. We have something planned, you know, something fun, something lighter, something more marketing type. And then we have to center back to a message because we're just in constant crisis communications. And that's not unique to my district. That's everywhere. No, that's everywhere. And you know, it's funny, my my son is at a crack me right now while we're recording this. And I'm thinking <laughs> about like, you know, the sprinters, the the 100 meter dash kids are not the ones that run the 3,200 meter two mile um, around and around and around the track. Right. Um, but what this has become, what the pandemic has really become is a marathon of sprints. And the body is not meant to operate in that way. And, um, you know, there's no choice. So it's, you know, it's nobody's fault. It's just the reality of what this is, but it definitely raises the the risks for a loss of well-being, for increased stress. I mean, I know several, even just friends um, who have left the industry in the last year and some of them uh, for great opportunities. And I think some of them were just looking for a way out because it was just too much. Yep. And, you know, I don't want anybody to feel like that that's the only option, but I also don't want anyone to feel like that that's not a that that is not a viable option when it really does become too much. Um, that, you know, there's, there's always a path forward. And I hope whatever that path is needs to be a healing path, um, whether that's staying or, or going. Um, but no, I just think uh, nobody was designed to operate at this high a level for this long of a time. That's for sure. Absolutely. And, and very like your work with Sean and K-12 PR Well, you know, Justin and I designed this show as a way to keep people engaged because we don't want people leaving the profession. So we mm-hmm. want to talk about different ways that we can help people find the balance they need uh, to, to be able to stay, to keep doing the good work for the public school students in our country. Well, and I mean, I think it really comes down to, you know, if you think of yourself 
as a high performance athlete, and I would say this to PR people, whether it's in K-12 or elsewhere, but I think K-12 in particular, um, you know, it's, there's a high performance athleticism that comes to working in school PR um, and no athlete can perform at a high level without rest. And so, you know, the idea is staying in the game, but sometimes staying in the game means that you need to sit out for a little bit and let your ankle, you know, heal, <laughs> whatever Absolutely. that is. Sure. Um, and so it's understanding that it's not just go, 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 force, 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 you know, push, push, push that, you know, that, that, that mentality will lead you um, to injury. So. So talking about high performance athletes, let's go ahead and talk about the Wonder Women in our profession. Profession, I said perfection. Profession. Um, yeah, you know, we no more perfection. No more perfection. We're not striving for perfection. We're striving no, for we're good not. enough. Yes. Um, so we know, you know, maybe fifty percent or so of our listeners, as well as people in our profession, are men. And this episode is not intended to discredit the work that you're doing. And we hope that you will still stay oh, and listen no. because you're doing beautiful, amazing things too. But Kristen and I are specifically going to talk about kind of the duality of that role and the internal pressures that we feel as women to be high performers in our career and then turn around and be high performers at home, whatever your home dynamic looks like. Well, and I would say too up front that some of my very dearest friends, including the man that I married, are some of the most um, gracious supporters. And they're, and sometimes that's just understanding the experience of your counterpart. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would invite, you know, the men who are listening, I would invite you to listen and just, just with an open mind. But Kristen, let's talk about some of the roles that we as women find ourselves trying to fulfill. And and most of the time we're trying to do all of these roles simultaneously. Right. Well, and I think that it's easy for me to think, oh, it's sort of, you know, it's the, the antiquated, you know, once upon a time, women did most of the household labor and labor uh-huh. is going to be, you know, laundry or meal prep or getting the kids ready for school. Really what I found doing some research uh, to talk to you tonight, I, what I found was a lot of data that said that basically what the pandemic did was shine a light on how inequitable households are, mm-hmm. even to this day, even if relationships have evolved, the division of labor has not. And so it really gave me pause to think about um, women who have been juggling in the last year, school PR pros who've been juggling um, people, you know, in the next room learning from home, mm-hmm. <laughs> remote learners. And, and that's going to be, you know, coordinating the majority of the care for little ones, the learning um, for school age kids, and also, you know, home while working at home with nonstop calls and meetings, if you're anything like me. Um, There were a lot of moving pieces. And, you know, remote learners is not just giving them a place to sit. It's also supporting, you know, when they've got questions or frustrations, it's wiping tears, um, calming them down. It's accountability. Did you make sure you, you know, jump on your Zoom? Um, It's meals. Like, oh my gosh, the number of times I've cooked meals and cleaned up meals in the last year boggles my mind. I load and unload the dishwasher so many times. All the time. All All the time. time. And it takes time. And I try not to, I try not to despair about it, but good grief. I don't know who's making our dishes so dirty, Um, (laughs) but it, you know, it it is a, it is a, a use of time and energy that we normally would not be nearly as caught up in. Um, And then I also, I thought it was interesting. The data also shows that women have been um, the most likely in households to be overseeing the care of 
older relatives, whether that's mm. our parents or, um, you know, elderly aunts and uncles, um, that we are most likely in our household to be overseeing the care and the safety and protection of our parents. Um, and so it's, you know, it's almost a sandwich generation before our parents, but, but, you know, my parents still live independently. They're, they right. don't need me to drive them to appointments, but for the first time, Ever, I've been helping them get appointments for their vaccines or helping right. them navigate a system to understand how to, you know, do different things that normally um, I would not be spending my time. I'm 45. I, it would not be a big part of my life right now. Um, so not only are we, we managing the things going on in our house, we're helping to oversee the things going on in our parents' homes. Well, and I wonder, Kristen, this is just kind of me making this up here as we go, but I wonder how much of that, how much of those roles we're putting on ourselves. Because like, mm. if I think just in just in my own life in the last year, you know, I didn't, um, I started my new job right as the pandemic started, which was kind of a crazy time to change districts, but I didn't go into the office until July. So I'm mm. working from home. I have an infant at that point. Um, my husband does shift work, so he's in and out and he's highly helpful. But I kept finding it's like, no, but I need to be doing more. So while we're here, I need to be achieving this. So I'm working these hours and then I'm, like you said, checking on my parents. And then I'm like, well, while we're here, we should be eating nutritiously. And while we're here, <laughs> right. we um, should be reorganizing you know, our closets and our that's spare That's exactly time. right. It's time yeah. to cull all of the clothes I haven't worn in a year. Yeah. So it's like it, your yes. lunch break is spent like trying to be productive. Yeah. There's no Cheat rocking the basement. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, I, and if I'm being critically honest here, at no point did my husband say, hey, I think you should handle X, Y, or Z. It oh, was right. always me going... I think I just, I need to be more. I need to be more for people. I need to do more. I need Absolutely. to accomplish more. So I'm the one who makes myself crazy. We, if I told my husband we were going to subsist on hamburger helper and hot dogs for the foreseeable future, he would not complain. Sure, he'd he be good would offer it. to help do it. He would, <laughs> I mean, like he just, but I would be, that is a standard, the meals, preparing meals for my family, you know, does it yes. have to be three meals a day? Do all three meals every single day need to be homemade and nutritious? Um, you know, no, it's very no easy for me to pull. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. If you saw the number of pop tarts in my um, in my pantry right now, you would know. Um, but the, I think it is letting go of the expectations, just the unbelievable expectations that we put on ourselves. And you know, it really comes down to me. For me, is like what is truly critical to function today, uh-huh. and maybe tomorrow morning. Because sometimes, you know, in the eight o'clock at at night, I need to do, I do need to think about what's going to be critical for six o'clock tomorrow morning. Of course. Um, but what is really critical? I had a few days off, um, a few weeks ago between jobs, four days. And I thought I had a list that I was going to clean out the pantry. I was going to migrate some stuff from one room to the other. And I did literally none of it. And finally, <laughs> my husband said, you know, clean toilets are not necessary for us to live. In that's house. right. And he said, you know, if our pantry is still a mess, that's okay. Like it's really not changing our quality of life. That's right. Um, and I think that, you know, if you were to call me Aaron, just kind of in a tizzy because you couldn't get all the toilets cleaned and you couldn't make all the healthy meals, I would tell you, Aaron, sweet friend, like give yourself a break. Yeah. Just it's enough. What you're doing is enough. And I think what we need to practice is having that same pep talk for ourselves. Like Kristen, it's okay. 
it really is okay, Kristen, that you right. have not cleaned out the pantry and that you never migrated the the wrapping paper and note cards from the basement to the to the upstairs. And it really gets to like what needs to happen is that people need to be fed and they need to have clean clothes ish, cleanish clothes, <laughs> and they need to get to where they're going to school. You know, like it right. really does boil down to that and everything else is extra. Well, and Kristen, I, I have heard you say this to me before. I have heard you preach this and practice this, that we don't do a good enough job of talking to ourselves the way that we would talk to a friend. Mm -hmm. We are infinitely harder on ourselves and we treat ourselves really terribly, but we can turn around and show that the grace that we deserve, we can show that to someone else in the exact same situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, and I've shared with you before, and I think probably talked about it on on the episode that we did a couple years ago, um, that I've benefited from a fantastic therapist. Um, and one of the things she will sometimes say is like, well, it doesn't sound like you're speaking to yourself very kindly. Or right. she would say, wow, what a kind thing. What a kind thing to say to yourself. Um, and it's really helped me key into the expectations and you start to see the sort of the the unrealistic or the, you know, the un, I don't know, really just the extraordinary things that we expect from ourselves that we would never expect from others. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think I want to take a moment because I don't want this to be passed by. I One of the things that I noticed when I was uh, reading a lot of the data, and this was especially in September of 2020, um, there were a lot of workforce changes that were suddenly very apparent. And one of the things that what they found is that in the month of September, four times the number of women dropped out of the workforce than men. That's and September this year, 2020? 2020, yeah. Um, so about halfway through the pandemic. Um, and let me see if I have the number. It was It was an unbelievable number of women, um, 865,000 women left wow. the U.S. workforce four times more than men. Wow. And what they, and this is why this really isn't, I mean, the importance of this conversation applies to men and women because that's a massive economic problem. And what we found or what, what they found, what the, the researchers found was that in fact, the number of women had overtaken the number of men in the workforce for three months in early February, right before the pandemic, that there were really? actually more women than men in the workforce. But that what happened is when the pandemic began, women were still fitting, even those working outside of the home were still fitting into these kind of stereotypical, what I thought were historic roles, right? because they were. I didn't realize that they were still present in our lives in the way that they were, but doing the bulk of the cooking, cleaning, and parenting. Right. Um, and really though, what I want to point out is that there are several groups um, that were impacted at a higher rate. Hispanic women were even more likely to drop out of the workforce. And they were, you know, we're looking at a time that tends, you know, times of crisis tend to disproportionately affect minorities, people of color. Mm -hmm. And so I think we really always want to be aware of, you know, you and I are both white women. Mm -hmm. We want to be aware of the people of color who are, and just be curious about how the things that are affecting us could also be affecting them and potentially could be affecting them more. Right. Um, and being being open to that so that we can know where the need is for for encouragement or reassurance or support. I just wanted to 
you know, to add that, that this really is, it's not the same for everyone. Um, and certainly there are going to be people, single parents, for example, um, who are, whether men or women are like, yeah, no kidding. We've got the bulk of the work. We're doing all of the work and all of the income. So, you know, just being sensitive to the, the unique experiences and, you know, that some people it's, it's, it's not surprising to me that almost, you know, more than three quarters of a million women dropped out of the workforce in September. That's around the time that school started. Right. And, you know, they were confronted with it, not to mention that women oftentimes are the lower income earner in uh, a dual yeah, just historically household. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so they, you know, if a husband and wife are looking at each other, like, how are we going to do this? Because obviously one of us has to stay home. We cannot subsist, you know, we cannot sustain this. Um, that it does make sense that they would that they would uh, choose to be at home with their kids, and oftentimes leaving because I dug in because I thought, are these low wage jobs that people were leaving? No, I mean they right. were like high level corporate jobs. And what was interesting to me too, this is just one of the women that they interviewed, um, one of the the Latina women that dropped out. She was working in a a very in a New York City corporate job. And she said, you know, do I think I will go back? Absolutely. I want to go back, but I can say now that I will never settle for 50 to 60 hours a week again. It's sort of just, that is so res- interesting. I know it reset her expectations for what was worthwhile, um, as a sacrifice. So anyway, well, that's a little and, side note. Well, and I do, this is a completely separate conversation that we could have offline or another time, or maybe even another episode but just as we've seen people in general shifting back to the workplace, like what they as as workers, as employees are willing to accept now that we've seen what productivity can look like working remotely. Sure. Again, totally different conversation because I want to circle back to kind of why why we joined up today. But yeah, um, thank you so much for coming with all of that data because, you know, numbers don't lie. And looking at that and being able to take a really critical lens, I appreciate you bringing that. Well, and I think we're going to learn over the next year, two, three, four, five years, we're going to learn things that we don't, we can't measure right now. Um, and I, I find it to be fascinating. The things that that have the the very accelerated change and shifting, um, although it's painful, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very uh, curious about what that is. So I found it to be interesting. It was also discouraging though, because reading about just the the weight of the experience of women, of working women during the pandemic, and this was just across all sectors, not school PR, um, but just knowing that weight, it took me back to a lot of what I struggled with personally and what I know my friends in school PR and out of school PR um, were, have been struggling with. Hey guys, Aaron and I are excited to have Class Intercom back as a sponsor this year for School PR Happy Hour. Last season, I told you about how my student interns took over the district's Instagram and we saw immediate growth by using their voice to tell their story on their campuses. Class Intercom is more than just a tool for students to use to post to social media. Class Intercom is a social media management tool that offers unlimited users, approvals, and archiving at an affordable price, and they're built specifically for schools and school districts. Head over to classintercom.com and sign up for a demo today. You know, in our career, we're constantly struggling with balance, with anxiety. We've talked a little bit earlier today about burnout, and obviously this year it's worse than previous years. So Kristen, let's talk about some steps that we as women can take to start to sort of regain our sanity and find the joy in the work that we're doing again. Absolutely. Well, we've already talked about letting go of high expectations, but I think it bears repeating. 
literally whatever it takes to get through today or tomorrow is enough and it is good and it is enough. Um, and letting go of extra things, they will still be there, I assure you. You know, I think it's important to, we're communications people, but oftentimes, um, you know, our jobs get the best of us and, and our relationships don't. Um, but communicating with your spouse or your partner, or your housemate, um, and just saying, you know, it's fair to just say, even text them, I'm really overwhelmed, or yep. I really need some help. And what I have found to be, and I just married a great guy, and he is a, truly a partner um, in our in our house. Um, but you know, sometimes I'll say, "Can you help me figure out what's not critical? Like, what can I let go of?" Because I know he'll be able to see it much more clearly. And I'm thinking, "Yes, but we need to have the new wreath on the door because Easter is coming. <laughs> it's critical, um, and I need to make that wreath. That's right. <laughs> I can't buy it. Um, and so he's really good at saying, you know what, last year's wreath is fine." or you don't need a wreath or let right, me order whatever. curbside tonight. I know you had something marinating in the refrigerator, but it, you know, we don't, let me just, let me just get tacos. Um, right. Those are the things that when I say, can you just help me figure out what's, what, what's not critical? What can I let go of? He's very good at it. And, and it gives him a role to support me too. And that's what we want. We want to be able to support the people or, that we love that are around us. And, you know, in a similar way, communicating with your supervisor, your boss, your superintendent, whoever that is. And I think it's really important to normalize and, and to model this to say, you know, the demands on my personal life are harder than they used to be. And, you know, you don't even have to go into details, but you could easily say, you know, my kids are remote learners or, you know, we lost mm -hmm. our childcare or, I'm really worried about my parents because one of them has COVID and now they're, you know, I have to check on them five times a day, or I'm worried right. about the stress of my spouse or partner or my, my spouse lost, uh, you know, took a 20% pay cut because the company's, you know, hemorrhaging money. So you can share those details, but you really don't have to, because let's face it, everybody's, the demands on everybody's personal life are heavier than usual. Sometimes just saying right. it out loud, just acknowledges that it is a, a universal reality. And then, you know, you could also say something like, you know, my job has grown past what I can handle. Can you help me prioritize? My job has grown that what people need from me is more than I can. It's more than it used to be. And it's more than I can do on my own. Can you help me figure out what to let go of? That is such a place of vulnerability and not something that I think those of us in this career field are particularly good at. I hate to admit weakness. If you know me, our listeners, they know that. I would really challenge you to turn it around and think, I want to get done the things that are the highest value. Right. And I don't want to be wasting my time on stuff that my superintendent or my supervisor doesn't even care about. Right. So it really is to say like, man, this to-do list, I'm not going to be able to get through this as fast as I thought I was. Maybe you don't want to even say like, I can't handle it, but my to-do list is out of control, boss. Can you help me pick out the five things that need to happen this week? Right. <laughs> you know, like something what like are that. your priorities here? Exactly. 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 Because then at least you know that the person who's, um, you know, supervising you is going to be satisfied with, with your effort. And right. I think that it really gives them an, a powerful chance to have a voice in that. And I think it also demonstrates a very high level of professional maturity, um, right. which you just can't go wrong when you demonstrate professional maturity. Um, sure. You know, and I think it's also fair to say, if this is your experience to say, you know, I just cannot seem to rest. And it it's really starting to affect my ability to do a good job. Can you help me think through ways to protect my personal time? And, you, you know, it's, it'd be like, I have a couple of ideas. Like, for example, 
would it be okay if I didn't check email between the hours of 7 p.m. and 7 a.m.? Your boss is going to say, why are you checking email? That's exactly right. 7 p.m. But sometimes we just need permission to do what we know is right. But or what think, we need. Exactly. That what we need is actually something that they think we're already getting. But I think it's really effective to say, I need some help recharging because this job has just so, you know, seeped into every corner of my life. Mm-hmm. And I love the work that I do, but I can't do it well enough if I'm just burning the wick at every end. And I think sometimes even just to say like, so what do you do to make sure that you like, how are you protecting some time? Because I know you seem more relaxed on Monday. So how are you, you know, and right. these were obviously superintendents that I felt like I had a level of friendship with, um, you know, in a professional way, but I didn't feel like that was out of bounds to say, right, you know, right. man, what do you do after board meetings to unwind? That's so wound <laughs> up. Um, you know, being able to have those conversations, I think kind of also gives them a little bit of a peek into what your experiences. And so I think those are, you know, communicating with, you know, lower your own expectations, let go of the things that aren't critical for yourself, but then really communicate with your, the people that you live with and the people that you work with and, and just say like, look, I really want to do a good job. Can you help me figure out the most important things to do um, and what I can let go of or what I can lower on my priority list? I think it's just so, so important. Well, and sometimes as the professional communicators, we're the ones that do the very worst job communicating. We we kind of enjoy that suffering in silence, even if we don't realize it. <laughs> I guess maybe you do, Erin. I don't know. I'm not a very silent sufferer. I tend to get very <laughs> like passive aggressive, and you know, I just get like snippy. And I feel like when I can have a conversation that's just candid and helpful that I'm able to let go of that. Like, I mean, it's sort of like, if you think nobody ever does the dishes, I'm the only one who ever does the dishes. And I'm just going to sit here like a, you know, like a bossy crabby crab and do the dishes (laughs) and everyone will know why I'm crabby. You know, it's really easier to say like, who wants to help me do the dishes tonight? (laughs) Or I'll pay you $2, you know, somebody to to do the dishes. You're Um, just going back to that professional maturity again. You've mm -hmm. got it here. (laughs) Exactly. We could, if we could only pay everybody $2 to get those. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you know what? I'd like to circle back to something. I wrote this down um, when you were talking about communicating with your husband, with your partner. Um, Because one of the things we wanted to talk about is how, um, how men can help support some of our needs Mm -hmm. as we identify them. And of of course, um, you know, for, for some of us, that's as a partner, for some of us, that's a friend, for some of us, that's a boss. But what you said that really struck me was, Can you help me figure out how to prioritize? Can you help me figure out? And so kind of putting that, um, giving them ownership in that role, but also asking for help. And it just triggered this memory that I have. Um, So if you'll allow me to kind of digress a little bit here. When you get married in the Catholic church, you have to go through some counseling with the priest. And so when my husband and I got married, we had to do that same thing. And, And one of the things that the priest said is he looked right at Kevin and he said, you know, when your wife comes to you and she has a problem or she's telling you a story, you need to look at her and you need to say, do you want me to put my tool belt on to fix it? Or do you want me to keep the tool belt off and listen? And it was the lamest analogy. And Kevin and I, for 13 years, 15 years, we have made fun of that, but it still stuck with me because sometimes that's the case. Sometimes you just want someone to listen and not fix that problem. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you're genuinely seeking input. And that's something that I've tried to do just as I've gotten older is articulate what I'm looking for as I Mm -hmm. enter into the conversation. 
Yeah, definitely. And sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, this has been a day I just need to download. Right. And, and, and if, and I get, I can be a little bit um, of a problem this way, but if, if I sense that someone's trying to fix it, I'm like, actually, I don't need your help with this. I just need you to listen. <laughs> that's like, great that tool belt away. <laughs> no, but that's so good because I mean, they're okay. So I'm a fixer. If I hear someone telling me a story or something that's wrong and I see a clear problem, and a clear solution, I am duty bound to fix that for them. And the reality mm-hmm. is not everybody wants that and not everybody needs that. Well, and sometimes you just aren't ready for it, right? right. Like sometimes you just need to sort of sit in your in your pain or in your um, frustration and you just don't want to sit in it alone, you mm-hmm. know, and, mm-hmm. but you're not ready. You know, you just sort of need to feel the way you're feeling in that moment. Um, I find that with my kids too, especially as they get older, you know, if somebody's mad, um, you know, because they got a, you know, something went wrong at school or they, um, you know, got cut from a team or something. And, you know, they don't need me to fix it right then. And they really don't want to hear, they don't want to be cheered up. It's like, you just need to be able to like feel your, your funk for a while. And then it's like, oh, maybe, maybe I should go back and ask the teacher if I can do such and such, you know, then it becomes, once you are able to sort of sit in that, um, once you come out on the other side, it's like, well, you know, maybe I, maybe if I go back and, and reread something, or maybe they'll let me retake the test, you know, it's, then the the problem solving can happen. Um, but really when sometimes somebody just needs to just unload and sure. just listening is such a gift and it's, it's also a discipline, you know, like yeah. it takes practice and it takes patience and it takes biting your tongue sometimes, <laughs> um, <laughs> but just listening and being a soft place to land, you know, and resisting that urge to solve the problem, but just giving your loved one or your, you know, whether that's your spouse or your uh, partner, your friend, just, you know, friend, just giving them a soft place to land at, so that they feel like they can, you know, be vulnerable and not just be helped you know, sometimes the help, what you need is just someone to listen. And I think, I think that, you know, whether it's my husband or some, a couple of bosses that I've had who were men or, or, you know, what a few of my close friends are just really good at acknowledging like, gosh, I can tell that you're going through a lot, or I bet that would be overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of naming what it is that I'm experiencing, or sometimes even just saying like, I might be getting this wrong, but it seems like that was really like discouraging, you know, putting words to it can be just so helpful. You feel heard and you feel understood. And that's you, there's just no greater value than that. Um, And then, you know, just telling the woman that's overwhelmed or frankly, the person, the man that's overwhelmed, this is a human thing that like you are doing the best you can. And that really is enough. Like stop thinking you need to do more. What you're, what you've done really is the best you could do. And that's enough. Um, right. You know, let it rest tonight or, or give yourself a break. Um, we all need to hear that. Yeah. Regularly. And I think that's something that at least the men in my life have been so good at helping me see that it really is enough. And I really am doing the best that I can. And that really is all they expect. Yeah. We expect so much more of ourselves, but the, the people around us, men and usually women too, like they're not expecting us to do more. They're just expecting us to do our best and to just be good with that. So I had written on here, what are some of the things that we can do to help each other? But I think you did just a really nice job articulating that. Is there anything else that we didn't cover kind of in that question, whether that's women supporting women or just all of us in school PR kind of looking out for each other 
tips, tricks? You know, I would just, I think I want to, I would just circle back to the importance um, of understanding that there's a lot of intersectionality in these experiences and that women of color or people of color may be experiencing um, times of trauma or increased stress in a different way than we, than I am. I'm not, I'm a white woman. Um, And to try to connect with intention when I can, if I, and just to say like, Hey, this is a tough time for me. I bet it's tough for you too. How are you doing? You know, to not assume that we know um, that what their experience is, but rather to sort of just gently inquire or at least offer, open the door to a conversation. This just applies to pretty much all things in life. And it's a good reminder to me, but it's something I tell my kids too, um, is that someone else's burden or pain does not take away from yours. (laughs) Like there's there's enough, we're not having a like, who has it harder contest. (laughs) if Aaron, if you have a really awful day, like object, like somebody hits your car and your dog has to have surgery, right? surprisingly, and then your child has lice and like all of these things are going down. Like I've had days like that. My kids have had lice. I'm not trying to put them on yours. Maybe yours never have. Um, but the, uh, you know, just because you have had a bad day doesn't change. I may have had a bad day too. We can right. still connect and we can still support each other. And we don't have to feel that because you had, because you also had the car, you know, the dog that needed surgery, that somehow my pain is less, you know, that, that mm-hmm. it's not a pizza, like there's plenty of it to go around and everyone can have their own experience. So, you know, thinking of, of some of my friends who are, are people of color, you know, that their pain in like last summer mm-hmm. was, was profound and that that is not a threat to what my experience is, that we can mm-hmm. both be in that together, even with different perspectives and different types of pain. And and so just, you know, keeping in mind that experiences are different and mm-hmm. that it's really a gift to be able to connect with people and in a way that doesn't feel competitive. I'm actually incredibly glad that you said that because that's something I'm just going to get really real here. That's something I've really struggled with in this pandemic is this idea that I should be grateful because other people are suffering so much because it's like, okay, yeah, so I was quarantined with two little kids, but I happen to really love my home and I live Mm. on a couple of acres where the kids can run. So why am I upset about that? Or yeah, all right, well, now I have to commute an hour. Okay, I commute an hour to a job that I absolutely love. Like sure, we didn't, we were able to get the vaccines. We did not get sick. Like we had so many wonderful things happening that I kept thinking I should just be more grateful. I should just be more grateful when the reality is we were all, and we are all still experiencing different levels of trauma. And sure. just like, we don't compare and we trauma. Will You'll hear every, time. And we will for a long time. You'll hear every therapist say, we don't compare trauma. Like that, that is not healthy. It is not productive. Well, and it's not real. I mean, because, you know, I think the most important word in what you were saying is and. And so mm-hmm. you had it, I'll just use my example because it's a lot like yours. Like, yes, we were quarantined at home, but we actually got along and we had a safe home and we had enough food and other people didn't have those privileges. Right. And I'm going to drop off a bag of groceries on their doorstep. I think it's healthy to recognize our privileges. And I think it's, I do too. And it, it builds gratitude, right? It helps you recognize the things that are 
maybe in a difficult time that really do make your life easier. And that's a very healthy way for your brain to operate, to point out the things that are, you know, the wins. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the win column was kind of narrow, but at least you had some things in there. Um, yeah, it's a good way to I say But I think it. that the... The importance is to also recognize that your wins, that not everybody has them. And when we recognize that, not to recoil and to feel bad because we had these wins, but rather to extend, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of contracting because, oh, you know, know, we've got it so easy compared to so many people in the world, you know what? Drive to the grocery store or call in a curbside order and deliver to the food pantry. Like it really can be a motivation to help the people or to extend a helping hand or write a note to somebody. You know, a handwritten note is one of the cheapest things that you can do that really actually, I mean, at least in my happy world, a handwritten no, it goes note a long way. makes it, yeah, it makes a difference to me as I write it and it makes to a difference to the person as they receive it. And so there are, I think it's using those moments of feeling like of comparative trauma or comparative pain as an opportunity to extend. Yeah, thank you. Wise words, as always, Kristen. Um, I'm concerned that if we keep on in this vein, this episode is going to be over an hour, but it's such a brilliant conversation. (laughs) No, we don't want to do that. (laughs) I would like to, though, before we end, I would like to get an update on what's going on with you and Sean and K-12 PR well, because I know you pulled back a little bit during some of this pandemic to kind of give yourself some space to breathe, honestly. Yes, we definitely had to um, operate in a in a mindset of our own wellness, which meant that I don't think we've sent out an email since, I don't know, October, um, but we presented for a lot of our school PR chapters, many more than we would have been able to in a normal time. We usually have to turn down a lot of invitations, but that was one gift of the, of the virtual world is that we were able to present to a lot of chapters this year. Um, but no, the, the most exciting news that I have, I'm just so excited to share with you and with your listeners that part of my decision to join the CEL team, which is a small family run marketing and PR group in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities. One of the things that sealed the deal for me was the chance to find our beloved K-12 PR well, some really, really talented partners and a bit of a home. Um, So one of the things that just blew me away when I started learning about CEL is that that group has been around for about 30 years. Um, and it has a long history of serving schools, K-12 schools, and also serving health and well-being organizations. It's got an incredible branding team, and I'm super excited that we're going to be able to actually have like a professional brand for K-12 PRL, and we're going to be able to create some sustainable structures that are going to ensure that this conversation is no longer dependent on a couple of kind of running around volunteers trying to also <laughs> do all the things. Um, so it's, uh, Sean and I are both very excited. I'm going to speak on his behalf because he's not here, Absolutely. Um, but, but we're both very excited to be able to really start working strategically. Um, you know, three years in, we, we know what we want to say and we want to grow this at, in order to reach more people and do more good um, and to be able to build this conversation, build the audience um, to reach more people and serve more people. It's just a really exciting way to uh, start off 2021. I'm so excited. You guys are doing such incredible work for, I, I mean, for us as friends, for the people in our field, and just the fact that it's coming from such a genuine place for you and for Sean. I feel like we should have like had Sean come on here at the end because it's it's like, you know, where Kristen and Sean is, we need you guys together. You're doing such incredible work. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's here in spirit. Plus, he was such a good sport the other day when I asked you for a virtual Zoom hug, and he was just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I knew. Sean, yeah, that's Sean. <laughs> I love it. I'm so excited. What are some of the spaces, whether it's social media or your listserv, where should we be watching for some of this information? We um, are going to be firing up our listserv again, so that's very exciting. Um, and we're speaking, we're going to be presenting, um, we'll continue to present to chapters. We've got at least one, others, one other on our calendar for this year or for this school year. But yeah, I would say make sure that you're on our uh, mailing list, but we'll be sharing on social as well. And once things really start firing up and we've got a brand ready to roll out and those kinds of things, it will be hard to miss. <laughs> We're going to make it very difficult to miss. Um, so just know that there are good things coming and it's just going to be kind of like a, you know, a little of this now and a little bit of something else later. And it's just going to be a little trickling in of, of good things. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for the opportunity to, to explore this topic a little bit. It's something I'm I'm passionate about. I'm now working in a place that's almost all women. And it's really interesting to, to see just the way that each of us has uh, been affected. And, you know, when I look around at my K-12 friends and my, my school PR colleagues and seeing the way that women have shown incredible resilience and courage, just incredible courage through uh, an, inc- through an, un- I mean, it's, we all hate the word, but it's really, mm-hmm. and it's an unprecedented time, not in our history, not in our parents' history, not in our grandparents' history, um, have women had to navigate the things that we have navigated in the last year. And I just want to celebrate what women have done, celebrate the men who have been great supporters and great advocates and collaborators with those women and just really give us all a big pat on the back. You know, we've, we are enough, we've done enough, and um, we're going to be telling these stories for a very long time. And I, I really believe that this time is going to make us better people, smarter people, more creative, more resourceful. Um, and so, you know, it's all good from here, but just wanted to, to pause and, and appreciate just what anyone listening to this, what you've been through in the last year, it's, it's really something. It occurred to me as I started to edit this podcast that this would have actually been a great episode to have in the month of March, which as we know was Women's History Month, but we had another fantastic woman that joined us on our show. So thank you again to Sarah Williamson of SWPR for being our March guest and a very, very special thank you to my friend, Kristen Majet APR for joining me on this. It was critically important to me that we took the opportunity to talk about the issues that have been facing us as women, as school PR professionals, Like many of you, I've had a very interesting 12 or 13 months filled with all kinds of challenges. I think a perfect example of that is recording the exit to this. You can probably hear an echo because I'm sitting in the middle of my living room while my baby is trying to sleep and the dogs are barking and my seven-year-old's walking through. This is the reality that we're living in these days. But just to close out this episode, thanks for listening. I know this was a little bit of a long episode, but I think it was really important to talk about this and address some of these things head on. Thank you as well for hanging in there and supporting this show. It means an awful lot to me and to Justin. Uh, Just as a reminder that we like to connect, please go ahead and email us if you want to at schoolprhappyhour at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at sprhappyhour or connect with us on Instagram at schoolprhappyhour. And until next time, let's all try to be a little bit better at our jobs every day.